Welcome to Broad Eye, the podcast that explores knowledge gaps in ophthalmology and eye care. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Broad Eye Podcast. My name is Sean Maloney, and I'm here today with my good friend and co-host, Dr. Bruno Fernandez. Bruno, how are we doing today? How's it going, Sean? I'm doing all right. Uh, we're looking forward to our, our guests today. We have two guests on the show today. Um, we have Dr. Andrew Webster and Nick Nettleton, who together in a collaboration um, are part of My Eyesight. That's M-Y-E-Y-E-S-I-T-E. And they're going to be telling us all about that today. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Great. So um, maybe you can actually, I'll throw this out to, to whoever wants to grab the question here, who uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about what my eyesight is and maybe more specifically uh, what problem exists in the field of ophthalmology that my eyesight is looking to address. Over to you, Andrew. Oh, thanks, Nick. I'll, I'll, I'll start then. So, so, well, I'm an, an ophthalmologist with an interest in, in rare disorders. And one of the problems I've had and we, the, the whole um, area has had whilst I've been working in it is, is accumulating enough data on rare disease patients to do useful research. And so that's very hard to do. We have to join together institutions and we have to join together um, host, uh, different countries to get enough data to do, to find out useful things about rare diseases. So one idea was instead of trying to do this on behalf of patients, that is doctors from different institutions working together, um, instead get the patients involved directly and have an application which patients are responsible for accumulating their data so that it can then be shared um, across institutions. So that was the, the, the main aim of, of my eyesight to try and address that challenge. And in parallel, it also addresses the challenge that we have in clinical care. So very often patients with rare disorders will have a long journey, will have a long clinical journey. They will have seen many different specialists in many, many different institutions. And at least in the UK and talking to colleagues abroad, this is the case in most places, it's very hard to get relevant clinical data from other hospitals to look at and to put in context a person's present examination. So a, a parallel um, aim of the project is to, is to make clinical care uh, more joined up and to be able to keep data in one place such that an, ophthalmology, an ophthalmologist can um, see it and, and make decisions based upon it. So those are the two main drivers for the, for the project. Um, and, and I'm glad to say I, I met um, we were looking for a, a software company to, to help us and um, luckily came across um, Nick Nettleton of Loft Digital, who had a very similar uh, aspiration and wanted to um, provide um, services in, in healthcare, to provide the expertise of his company to help address these questions in in healthcare, so that's how it it began, and that's the main aim of the project. And Nick, Nick you may want to add to that. I, I think that's a really great summary, Andrew. I think to, to sort of recap the, the 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 problem that Andrew communicated to me when we first met was was that he had patients coming in to see him. They get their few minutes in the limelight with the with the sort of great world professional in their rare disorder, and of course, if they don't have with them um, the records that, that Andrew needs to see, then that appointment isn't as good or as effective as it could be. 
And perhaps the patients assume that Andrew already had the records with him because the NHS in the UK is a single big organisation. But, but of course, the information doesn't flow like that. So that's frustrating and disappointing for everybody. And we, we met lots of patients and clinicians who, who were constantly frustrated by that system. And then the same system or, or the same issues with, with, for, for, uh, uh, within the health service in the UK for people bringing together their records means that there's, there's not as much data available for research as there should be. So Andrew, when Andrew reached out to me and said, Nick, we've got these problems, can we solve it using technology? That was immediately exciting and interesting because I love problems that, that, that look at users, or in this case, patients, and look at the problems that they're facing and have a think about how can we use technology to solve those? And that's exciting to think we can, we can build a system that enables people with rare disorders to collate their information from lots of different places and do it to improve their own outcomes to support the research that's in their benefit and to help their doctors as well like Andrew. Uh, I'm curious about like how exactly the what, what it's like the the normal like logistical framework of um, eyesight because it, it's it's clear to me right now there's many players involved like you have academic institutions like technological companies so what, what are the players that make my eyesight work? So we, um, we plotted a, a sort of, if, if you like, an ecosystem at the very outset of our journey, where we look at, at, at patients as one of the key groups of people on this, on this graph, if you like, and doctors, clinicians, or other healthcare professionals. And then there are also researchers, and those researchers could be academic researchers within universities, or they could be commercial researchers, pharma companies and biotech companies looking to develop new treatments for people with rare disorders. And, and once we plotted those groups of people, we could see how it's possible to develop a platform that by collaborating more efficiently around data and having better systems for them to share data and, and better workflows and governance in place, everybody could benefit, everybody can gain. And most importantly, of course, um, the patients can gain um, because they're getting access to better care and um, faster development of treatments. So this just seems like what you're doing, in retrospect, it almost seems obvious, right? And it's like, why hasn't somebody done this before? I mean, you have patients with rare diseases who um, certainly want their healthcare providers to know everything that's been going on in their past uh, interventions or examinations. And then you have researchers that would love to have access to um, this information and the clinicians that would like to also have access to this information. So um, you've taken a, an approach where, you know, the patients become central in, you know, helping to uh, aggregate this information. How does that actually work? You know, so do you, you know, if I'm a patient, which, which I am, I'm not a patient in the UK, but I am a patient with a rare, uh, rare disease. Um, you know, what would you tell me to do? Like, we just say, Hey, go and, you know, talk to these clinics or to these hospitals. Is there some guidance given there? Um, when, you know, directing patients, um, how to go about get this information? So in the in the UK or in the EU as well, um, we have a law called GDPR. Um, and what GDPR does is, it, it, among other things, it enshrines the rights of, of each of us as individuals to have access to data about us. So we can ask any organisation in the UK to send us the data that they have about us and they have to send it. Um, and this is really important. So, so mo most companies have been since it was introduced in May, I think it was 2018, have been running scared of GDPR. Um, it's quite difficult regulation for lots of businesses to implement. Uh, when we were looking first at, at, at how to do this project, we were worried about how 
we would be able to get the data from hospitals. And in fact, some people advised us that this would absolutely not be possible, that hospitals would, wouldn't be happy to release information. Um, but what became clear is that GDPR enables our, our users, the patients that we're working with, to write to or email those hospitals and say, please, can you send me the information? Please, can you send me all of it? And please, can you send it to me in a reusable format, something that's portable? And that's really useful and valuable for, for patients as individuals because that enables them to collect their data and bring it together. And so we, we've developed my eyesight using that model um, and tried to make it much simpler. It's, a, it's, a, it, it's a, a sort of a funny regulatory process, which isn't obvious to people. But what you can do or you, you, through my eyesight is you can get in touch with um, various hospitals. We're developing a, a module that provides a, a template um, or a standard email that can go out on your behalf um, and you can send it. And then the hospital will then have to respond to that within 28 days, um, providing the information you require. Um, and we would like them to put it directly into my eyesight. But, but if their processes aren't quite there, they can send it to you um, using whatever systems they normally use and you can upload it into my eyesight yourself. And just to, just to pick up on another aspect of that question, um, Sean, is why it hasn't happened already, because it is a somewhat obvious thing to do. And, and two reasons. There's the obvious one that data now is digital. So whereas before it used to be on bits of paper, and I'm old enough to remember 35 millimeter film for images of, of eye data. So it's much harder then to share it anyway. It's locked away in offices or, or in filing cabinets in hospitals. So that's made, made it easier. Now we, there's no, no impediment to sharing uh, digital data as there was before with old fashioned data. And secondly, there's, there's been a shift in, in how at least I've noticed this, in how medicine views um, patients. We did, used to have a very paternalistic view um, of patients and looking after them. Um, we wouldn't share data readily with them. I remember a time when I started um, in this, in, in around the year 2000, we'd write a, a letter, for instance, following a consultation to the GP or to the other doctor um, and not copy it to the patient. That wasn't the dumb thing. Um, so they'd be in the dark and we'd be doing it all on their behalf. Um, and that changed gradually over the years. So now it is, is the usual thing to keep the patients completely apprised of what's going on, as it should be. And so there's been, at least in the UK, there's been that shift in the way we um, share things with patients. And now patients are more in the driving seat than they used to be, quite rightly. Um, so there is an expectation that they should have access to the data, if, even if they don't understand it, they can um, get another view, get another opinion from uh, other doctors, or if they move regions, they can they can do the same. So there have been those two two forces, and then together with GDPR, General Data Protection Regulation, which is a, a GU uh, an EU thing, but I think has international scope. It'd be interesting to know whether Canada are adhering to a similar set of principles. Then that gives patients the power to get the data, and they, they really do have a lot of say in how that data is delivered and the degree of personal data that should be um, returned to them. So those, those, those were the impediments, I think, before, and, and now we can really go for this and, and um, make it work. And as I have a, a clear understanding how the, how the data acquisition for uh, my eyesight works, I basically see three steps there. The first one, it's for the patient to be aware of the service. And the second one is for them to take action and reach the, the, the hospital or, or their private uh, medical practitioner to release the data. 
and then finally for that data to be released. Uh, so what are, what are the challenges and the obstacles that uh, that uh, my eyesight has has had so far? Like, what's the most challenging step of those three, if any? So, so the, the biggest challenge is is enabling the, the the patient to get to get the data from the hospital. So, it, it, nothing will really succeed unless you make it easy for people to do this. But part of the importantly, part of the um, preparation for this for this project. So we've been going now throughout 2019 and 2020. Uh, has been asking patients' opinions. So we've been engaging with charities in the UK, uh, with patients and families directly, and getting their view of, of what they'd like to happen. And there's clearly an appetite for people to um, to do this, but people are busy, and so um, they want to do it as easily as possible. So my site will succeed if we can make that process easy for folks. And so what we'd like to do is um, make it a, an easy process for someone to make a subject access request to whichever institutions hold their data. This need not just be hospitals, but it could also be um, optometry practices uh, as well, um, or, or general practices. So this should be agnostic to the sort of institution holding data. Um, to, to allow them to make a, a subject access request so that automatically the digital data, instead of being sent to a patient's email, and it's, it's hard to do that anyway with a large um, volume of imaging data, um, without it being sent um, via CD to a person's home, which is the way it's done in some institutions, and that's clearly um, old-fashioned and, and difficult to, to help people. So instead of doing that, to do it directly to their account in my eyesight, so the patient would have an account, um, has an account with the um, application, allowing the data to be transferred um, directly for them. And then what we hope to do is to render that in a way that is useful to people should they wish to see it and useful to other clinicians should they wish to share with a clinician who, who would be seeing that person. So it's funny, it's funny how you mentioned about you know, people putting things on, on CD-ROM. I, uh, I went and had some you know fundus images and some OCTs done for my eyes uh, uh, it was a 20, maybe 2018, maybe 2019, something like that, a year or two or a couple of years ago. And, uh, you know, I had requested the, the data and instead of, you know, big enough center. And then they put these things on CD-ROM for me. And I'm like, I don't, my computer doesn't even have a CD-ROM drive anymore. anymore. So I think that's, uh, uh, you know, some of the things are um, outdated. So I think, you know, having them, having this uh, data sent in a way, you know, digitally that could be, um, you know, archived centrally so to speak that like what you're doing is great but i digress uh i wanted to uh wanted to ask you uh maybe andrew continue with you um just in the short and medium term you know what are some of the uh goals for my eyesight i mean this obviously a um a lofty project um no no sorry no pun intended with loft digital there um but it's uh um you know there's there's quite a, a large scope in what you're doing. And, um, you know, it's certainly uh, something that, you know, it's quite, a, quite a grand in scope. What are some of the shorter and medium term goals? And then who's the platform? Uh, who's the platform for and who's it not for, I guess, also um, at this stage? So if I did the, the second question first, because it, it's important we, we get that right and have a vision as to who this will help and who it won't. So one of the um, drivers for this is, is the word rare. 
Um, so to do research in rare diseases is hard. And people realize that. People with these rare disorders realize that it is difficult getting enough folks together in any one study to understand the disorder. And when drug companies, for instance, want to know the natural history of a specific target for gene therapy, um, they won't find many papers that have large numbers of patients in them because they'll be from one center or collection of centers. So we think this has a particular um, relevance to people with rare diseases. Um, and I'm an ophthalmologist and, and ophthalmology is a data rich um, speciality. So that's an obvious place to start. Rare eye disease is a good exemplar for this idea. And if it works for rare disease, then we would be keen um, to extend that to other rare disorders and in other spaces, um, in, um, in neurology, in respiratory medicine, endocrinology, there are these rare disorders that affect people and they, they have the same challenge. So that's, that's what it's for, really, I think. Um, a similar, in, in parallel, people with common diseases, diabetes and hypertension and, um, and COAD and so on, um, will also need this sort of ability to keep track of their own data, to add to it themselves, to see it, to monitor their progress. So there's, there's clearly a parallel need in common diseases as well, but we can't do everything. And we think that rare disease probably is, is where this um, best lies. And then um, the, the journey, medium and short and medium term, um, we've been very lucky with, with funding. So we've been very, well, Nick has been very persuasive in, um, in, in getting funding for this. We've been funded so far by um, a, a charitable organisations um, and governmental institutions in the UK. So HDR UK, um, Health Digital UK has funded this initially and uh, Innovate UK have funded us subsequently. But that we need to do a bit more. So we're on a funding journey at the moment to, to develop this um, further. And an immediate challenge is, is, is coping with the, um, the data that exists on people and in a streamlined way, getting that onto the platform for the good of both the patients to, to look at and keep track of, um, for them to share with other clinicians, but importantly, to have the data in a form that is useful for research. And for that to happen, really, we need the, the raw data, which is a lot. And it's a big ask of hospitals to try and get that into a patient's account. But there are um, applications available that, that we're hoping to um, join up with that can do that in a semi-automated way, that they can negotiate the uh, servers and the databases that hold these images um, and, um, and get them from a, for, for a specific uh, person and extract them um, in a way that is, is lossless and useful for research as well as for clinical gain. So that's, that's an immediate um, challenge that we have, um, which we, we're looking to, to surmounting at the moment. Um, Nick, you probably want to add to that. I, 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 think, I think that's great. I think talking about the challenges around the data is really interesting and really important because that's, that's the big, that's the, that's the big um, the challenge and, and, and the objective, isn't it? Um, I think for my eyesight, we've really started out the whole project taking a very patient-centric view of everything. So we involved patients in the project. Um, in the research, we interviewed dozens, if not hundreds, um, we prepared designs and worked very closely with patients on those designs to get their, their input into them. We, we worked with the um, RNIB, an important charity in the UK, to help us learn how to work with people 
um, who, who can't see um, to, to, to make those designs work really well with them. And one, one of the really important issues that we wanted to address with patients is about their data and about the use of their data and the privacy and the confidentiality. Um, and one of the really interesting things that we learned through that is that for this group of patients, they are very, very keen indeed for their data to be used for research. And they want that research to be carried out as quickly as possible. And they want new treatments to be developed for them um, and, and for their families, potentially for their children and so on. Um, but at the same time, of course, it's very important that we work together to A, make sure that the data is looked after, is stored securely. Um, so that involves quite a lot of technological work. Um, and secondly, also to look at how that data is going to be, to be used, which, which sort of comes on to, um, I, I suspect the next question about how will my eyesight be sustainable long-term? What's the, what's the revenue model? And we looked at whether, um, whether, for instance, our patients might pay for the application, but the, the, the type of, um, the level of funds that we thought might come through that wouldn't realistically be enough to help sustain a product like this. And, and, and also, we were concerned that that would put a lot of people off, um, whether it was $5, $10, 20 euros a month, who, who knows, but, but those figures would, would be an immediate barrier to, to bringing together the data and achieving that goal of accelerating research. So instead, we, we talked to patients about how do you feel about your data being used for research, but how do you feel about it being used or how do you feel about being involved in that research, but doing it in a way that's really transparent. So you're closely connected and, 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 and you have a good understanding of what's being done. And I think that's something we found that everybody was really excited about rather than concerned or upset about. Um, so that's sort of working through that model and, and, and seeing what the sustainability model is has been one of the important challenges. Um, we're still working through it, but I think we're getting there. So, yeah, so that's something that I was imagining uh, and I was, I was about to ask that actually, because uh, uh, I mean, this, this is a project that is, uh, uh, it's made to be scalable, right? Uh, in a worldwide uh, uh, fashion. And of course, like we've scaled, we become, it comes the, the, the challenge of managing like huge amount of data. And of course, like that has increased costs. And uh, uh, so far the, the company has been well-funded like I mean, through charity organizations, but uh, uh, is there any, any, any revenue uh, stream model planned? Like, I mean, let's say for example, like offer service for research institutions, like things like that. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely correct. So what, what we'd like to do is to work with um, both academic and commercial researchers, so pharmacos, who want to develop new treatments for rare disease. And we'd like to work with them to give them access to the data that they need, um, or um, alternatively to be able to um, provide reports or answers to important questions that they've got or to help them um, keep in touch uh, indirectly with patients through my eyesight, for instance, after somebody's had a particular treatment um, to carry out their, their post-market surveillance. So there, 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 there seem to be a number of different models there that, that we can use. And I think the important proviso of my eyesight is it's about empowering patients. So it's about not accidentally disempowering people. People, very importantly, we want the patients to be very much in control of how their data is used and, and, and have full visibility of that. So just to say that um, when I see patients at, at the hospital, 
um, with these rare disorders. And I'm quite keen to discharge them for a bit because very often, as you know, unfortunately, we can't do direct treatments for inherited retinal disease, for instance. One of the anxieties they have, very common anxiety, almost everyone, um, doesn't want to be forgotten. They don't want to be off the list of the hospital at Moorfields. They want to be known such that they can be in, in contact should there be any research going on or indeed any treatments. And so there is a great willingness for people with rare disease to be part of a, a structure in which they will be informed if there is um, research going on into their disorder. And if a drug company is, is keen to develop um, a gene directed therapy that you know they're, they're there and they would be considered. So um, people are very keen to be um, there and, and registered on such a, um, a structure. And they're also very keen for their data to be used for those purposes. Very often the data's lost in silos and, and not used for research unless it's part of a specific research program. Um, and that data is valuable. And it, it seems a great shame that it's not used and it isn't shared with um, researchers and drug companies to, to accelerate treatments. So most people get that and they're very keen, if anything, to have their data shared. So, so, so basically uh, it, there is a benefit for the patients like to be involved in this right indirectly because they contribute to the advancement of, uh, of science around the disease that they have but also even a direct benefit because they might also benefit from whatever advance comes out of this uh, uh, platform right correct exactly and there's also the, the benefit that many people want to keep a record of their, their their disorder and who they've seen and when they've seen them and how things have changed. So I'm forever asked whether things have changed since my colleague saw the patient 10 years ago. I'd love to answer that question, but I can't see the data that the colleague had 10 years ago. Um, and so they, they want that too. And this would be a very useful thing for them to have. So Andrew, you touched on something that, uh, you know, hits close to home. Uh, you know, I'm actively or recently have um, inquired about some clinical trials. So I have retinitis pigmentosa. And as you know, there's a number of clinical trials going on. And uh, I won't put any, you know, uh, sponsor names out there at the moment. But um, in each case, you know, I'm reaching out and, you know, it's on me to, you know, aggregate some of the basic information to send to them, right? So, okay, the, uh, you know, my last uh, appointment at the optometrist, you know, how was my visual acuity? How was my visual field? Uh, where is the, um, the genetic testing that I did back in 2009, back at the uh, National Eye Institute in, um, in the US? Okay, well, I have to have that information to send along, etc. So uh, it, I'm, I'm someone who has this information handy, but not everybody would, right? So what I like and what you're saying is that, you know, patients not being forgotten as things are moving forward and be being on a registry like hey i would i would love that phone call for someone to say hey guess what um you might qualify for um a clinical a clinical trial is it something that you'd be interested in exploring and just to know that it's like there's a system that's got my back should there ever be an advancement that uh, in that space so i think that um that that's a huge value for for patients um just as a you know another point here. I mean, I'm, I've have a few more questions here, but I don't want to take too much of your time, but I'm just curious if you can see any uh, changes or advancements in technology that would, you know, be game changing for my eyesight that would, you know, just make everything, um, you know, work more smoothly or really open, open the floodgates, or is it really 
just adoption by patients, um, adoptions, adoption by the uh, institutions that have the information and then the funding. Um, so, so one thing that would, a, a simple aspect of technology that would help, help us greatly is standardization of, of, of imaging technology. So at the moment, each manufacturer of an um, imaging tool um, has their own um, software surrounding that, their, their own format. Um, and that makes it hard for us to uh, generalize getting images on patients from different platforms. There are only a few platforms about. So if we, if we crack it for one of the big ones, we'll, we'll, that will apply to most countries, actually. Um, so, um, but it would, that would really help us um, a small technological change. That, that's, that's happened a while ago in radiology. So now in radiology, there is, um, it's absolutely necessary, I think, for manufacturers to be able to export their data in a standardized format that can be, um, that can be logged on a, um, a third party uh, database. Um, so that, that would help us greatly. Um, and genomic technology is moving forwards massively. And so with rare disease, there's usually, and in, in your case, Sean and, and many will know, there's usually one gene and one or two changes in the gene that define the disorder. Um, and so when I first started in this business in 1999, it was very rare for any one patient to know what that was or for me to know what it is. But now it's probably true to say that the majority of folks with a genetically determined rare disease affecting the eye, um, we know what the gene is and we know what the, the changes are, the mutations that cause it. And so that's, that's already an advance and that's rapidly getting better. Um, and so many um, healthcare institutions are including um, um, modern genetic testing, which is delivering the precise molecular diagnosis. And that, that's key to any research and it's key to any trials. And, and so very often, for instance, a trial might be directed towards a specific uh, genetic subtype of a, a condition. Um, so it's important to know the gene. And even more than that, certain, certain changes in the gene, not to get too technical, but there are certain um, ways in which a gene can go wrong, certain different mutational mechanisms. And they too, quite separately, can um, be um, targeted with specific therapists. And that's, that's sort of happening already with, with research and trials. So that technology has already improved the utility of a, a site like this and, and will continue to, to do so. So it's, uh, you know, it's coming more clear to me that this is, you know, what you're doing is a lot bigger than rare disease and ophthalmology. It's like you're using that as a, you know, as an initial lily pad, so to speak, to, you know, to figure out, um, you know, how do we incentivize patients and researchers and clinicians? How do we, you know, figure out a funding slash revenue model that works? How do we aggregate this information? Because really once you've, you know, worked out, uh, you know, those answers, then, you know, this can spread to everything, right? It's, you know, the, the same platform, um, you know, that you've partnered with, with uh, Nick and Loft Digital, that this platform can be used. Um, all of the answers that you've, you know, uh, figured out uh, can be, you know, applied to rare diseases and common diseases, like you, you alluded to earlier. And this is really like, you know, the whole thing can just um, expand and, you know, dramatically. Am I, am I off to in left field on that? Or is this like, it just seems to me that 
you're really laying the groundwork for something much bigger that is really crossing all medical disciplines. No, that, that's right. And ophthalmology, despite it being concerned with a, a very small part of the body, a, an organ that's an inch big, um, has often, you know, uh, been the paradigm for things. And in genetic technology, it's the eye, eye disease really that delivered the initial um, genes for, for, for rare disease. Uh, and for imaging, it, you know, we, we can do more non-invasive imaging uh, for the eye than most other specialities can for other organs, such as the brain, the kidney, etc. So, yes, yeah, so I think we are um, leading on this and it will be relevant to other um, just other areas. Absolutely. They, they face the same challenges and they, too, would like to aggregate data on the rare diseases that they see. Um, and the thing about rare disease data is that it is hard to get. And by being hard to get, it's valuable. And so there is immediately um, a way we can um, remunerate uh, the, the whole project um, by, by accumulating such valuable data. In, in common disease, you can get enough probably common disease data in one or two large institutions. So it's not quite so valuable, not as valuable as rare disease data. So there isn't that opportunity to make the most of, of its value. But um, yes, we, we, do, we are hoping this is um, the beginning of something uh, larger. Nick, what do you, do you agree with that? Yeah, ab absolutely. absolutely. And I, I think there's something really exciting um, about, about the, the role of technology here, because it, as you said at the beginning, Andrew, rare disease has, has been sort of left behind to some extent because of the challenges accumulating enough data and developing the treatments. But, but rare disease, although individually rare, if you look at all of the people in the world who have a rare disease, that's a very large number, about 300 million, 350 million people. And this is 350 million people who are being left behind to some extent by, by modern medicine. And, and in many cases, their, 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 their journey is very, very challenging. The disease is absolutely devastating. Lifelong, might start in childhood, probably does, iterates through families. These are terrible diseases. And the internet, because of the power of, of, of what the internet can do by making things which were once a niche into something where you can actually coordinate people together through some technology, through a collaborative platform to do something and make a difference and things suddenly become efficient now that weren't efficient a few years ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago. I think we, we, we're trying to develop a model that can make a big difference for that, that long tail, if you like, of people with, with, with lots of different rare diseases. Does that make sense? No, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. And um, maybe I'd like to just ask one more question before we wrap up here. And, and uh, it can probably tie a lot of these things together. And um, I'm just from maybe from both of you, if you want to weigh in on this, but what can people who, you know, who are listening to this do? So uh, whether they be patients with rare disease, whether they be people in industry, clinicians, researchers, et cetera, at, at this point, what can they do? If they say, I'm on board, I think that's what these guys are doing is, is fantastic. Um, you know, what steps can people listening take in the short term to somehow um, even, you know, modestly support the project? Yeah. So the most important thing for people to do is to go to our website, myeyesight.health. Um, and there you can sign up to join the My Eyesight Network. And this is a, 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 a essentially a group. Um, we keep in touch with people through email and we'll be letting people know through that as and when my eyesight evolves. 
So at the moment, the platform is, is live, um, but it's limited um, in the scope of its pilot um, to a number of pilot patients who are testing it and giving us feedback. Um, and once we're comfortable and ready to move the next step, then we'll open that out um, to all users. Um, so what we want people to do is to register on our website so we can let them know as soon as it's available. That, that's exactly right. So if people can do that, that would that would help us. It would help push forwards our funding journey too, to know that um, X number of people have showed an interest. And if they can tell their um, physicians as well that, that this um, project is is ongoing um, and any comments, of course, are useful. So there's an opportunity to comment on on the, um, the project as they see it from the, the website. So the more interest, obviously, the better. And if that's international, then that's, that's fantastic. That's what we want to do. This, the whole point of this is to bridge uh, institutions, to bridge countries, you know, that the person in China with the um, um, CRB1 retinopathy has the same challenges as a person in London. Um, and we need to join all that together to learn more from it. So uh, the international aspiration is real for this um, project. No, for sure. And I think that, you know, from I'm just trying to look at it and see if you're seeing all these people registering and from different locations. Yeah. When you're looking for, for funding and say, look, we have X numbers of thousands of people early on really interested in being part of this. So uh, not. So I think that's something that uh, listeners should definitely check out. And um, of course, in our, we always put some show notes together with these uh, podcast episodes, uh, actually a dedicated uh, webpage. So we can link to uh, myeyesight.health on that website, uh, on that webpage as well. So um, Nick and Andrew, mm -hmm. thanks so much for, for joining us today. It's certainly a pleasure speaking with you. And I'm uh, maybe hoping that as things get rolling, we can have you back for, uh, you know, for an update and, and letting everybody know how things are going. Thank you very much. It would be a pleasure. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Bruno. It's, it's a great, um, it's a great podcast, and it's, it's an honour to be part of it. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Nick. It was an honour chatting with you both.